Hey guys, welcome to Move Wild Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. So today we've got our second interview of the whole podcast. We're going to be ramping up the interviews, but this one I'm really excited to be sharing with you guys. It's a real fascinating interview that I did um, with Daniel Sainty. So Dan lives semi-nomadically on his land with pack goats. He is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and he teaches what he calls ancestral living skills. So we get into all things rewilding and sustainable living and really his take on all of that and how he brings it to the world. Uh, Topics such as rites of passage and exploring what sustainable living really means in the modern world. So I know you guys are going to love this one. I know I did. I know I learned a lot and gained a lot of perspective from this talk with Dan. So let's jump into the episode. Uh, There we go. All right. Thank you, Dan, for coming on the show today and joining us here at the Move Bar podcast. My pleasure. Yeah. So I wanted to start off with a little bit about your backstory, your background, and how you got into rewilding and what you do today, and then maybe that can lead into exactly what it is that you do today. Sure. Um, so at a, at a young age, I moved from a, a rural town um, to deep in the bush behind the Yango Creek Mountain, where we had no neighbors, no radio reception, no electricity. Um, and so forth. Um, and we went there kind of chasing the sustainable um, homesteading permaculture dream and uh, tried to do the same kind of practices that worked when we lived in a, a rural town, like putting in fruit orchards and, and starting market gardens, um, and found it pretty different actually actually being um, in the bush than, than on the outskirts of the town. Um, you know, the the possums climbed over the fences and snapped all the fruit trees. Uh, the droughts were severe. The frosts were severe. Um, and, and kind of everything that we had known before didn't work anymore. So we had to change our practices. Like we, we moved to starting to, to stopping that like European style where they're trying to get as much light as they can growing in rows to plenty in growth with nearest plants providing shade and surrounded by blackberries and raspberries and nettles or up on the hills surrounded by prickly pears and um, had to completely change all of our practice as, as uh, the years went by trying to find something that worked there. Um, and along the way there, eventually we looked at the, you know, the native raspberries that were acting as the barrier or, or the, you know, the naturalized prickly pears um and so the native plants and and the things that were working prolifically to be doing much better than the the plants that we were bringing in um and and having to create like these unnaturally fertile environments for for the area and um having to irrigate non-stop no no matter um how, how much we mulch and so forth in the summer and that started to lead to an appreciation of um native plants and the native technology and looking to cultivate that more. And uh, that, that was probably my, my pathway um, to teaching the ancestral skills that I do today. Yeah, wow. That's, uh, that's great. And how, how long would you say that, that that process of adapting to that kind of lifestyle took from actually moving out into the bush 
and then and then being feeling proficient with uh i guess being able to live out there sustainably and 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 also uh not not uh be in a situation where you felt uh really pushed and stretched to to be able to get food and and all these other things well cer certainly today i i'm able to provide um my needs for for food and uh shelter and tools from the land um but it is very much an ongoing uh process we don't have the benefit of um a couple of thousand years of uh uh, ancestors knowledge here <laughs> um, we're cut a little bit short like c compared to a, a stone age person I probably have the the skills of a of a, of a 12 year old boy you know um, <laughs> um, so it, it, it's a never-ending journey but um, as, as a child growing up it probably took 10 years or more um, to start getting comfortable um to providing our own needs on the land yeah yeah yes yeah, it's, it's a it's a good context you give to it there in 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 like because I, th I think a lot of people don't have that context of hunter-gatherers had thousands of years of knowledge of being able to really thrive in the landscapes that they lived in and a lot of people will go out into the bush and just think oh they must have had it really hard because they come at, at it with their worldview of they don't know how to do anything but I mean, you know, when you look at a lot of hunter-gatherer or indigenous cultures, they had it, they had it mastered because they lived in those environments. And exactly, yeah. Have, have you have you looked into like how did you start to teach yourself or or get, gain the knowledge and the wisdom uh, to be able to use those skills and 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 really su like sustain your life? Um, like, where did that information come from for you? Um, well, I, I received inspiration from everywhere. Um, so, so growing up, my mother um, taught me, like I guess the the, the permaculture and herbal medicine side of things. Um, I, I had books growing up, from you know the 1908 Boy Scout Handbook to uh, Larry Dean Olson's uh, Outdoor Survival Skills, which had a lot of the primitive technology stuff in it. Um, and Native American books of crafts. Um, so I, I drew inspiration from a lot of different places and um, being pretty isolated, um, gave it all a go, plus of trial and error as a youngster before I uh, got older and, and traveled and was able to meet some of our um, great minds in the world in these fields. Yeah. Did you, when you traveled, did you set out to seek out those people who really knew that stuff and could teach you? Yeah. Um, so when, when I first started traveling, I, I um, was competing as a martial artist and I was um, traveling and, and competing. Um, and then uh, I, I started uh, attracting a lot of training partners and eventually became a, a coach. Um, and I would bring people back to the bush property for, for training camps. And uh, that's when I first started teaching primitive technology and um, the bush skills to people, um, not by my intention, it just kind of happened. And that's when I started to see what, what a need there was for it. And it was kind of after that that I, I really want to go uh, deeper in myself. 
and then started to seek those people out overseas and, and, and locally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we talked about this before, but having the inspiration from people actually wanting to learn from you can be a massive driver to learn more yourself in many ways. And I know that I've found that on, on my own journey, when people ask me questions or want to know more about something and I don't necessarily have the answer, it really inspires me to, to learn and deepen my learning in that area more. Has that been the case for you with a lot of that stuff? Yeah, very much so. Um, particularly with, with uh, wrestling and martial arts, but also with, with primitive technology, uh, every new mind that's thrown into the mix with a question um, certainly adds to the equation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's such a it's such a broad set of skills as well that are so practical and applicable, but we've lost in the modern world. So I can imagine that there was a, a lot of interest and a lot of curiosity from people who were doing, you know, martial arts to start learning some of those skills as well, because they're also very practical, practical and applicable skills. Sure. Well, they're, they're all uh, living skills. Like, like, Almost every culture wrestled, and almost every culture, well, all cultures ate food and, and, and provided for their needs. So th these are just human skills, um, which can be a little bit lost in the modern world. Yeah, and, and, and as you mentioned, there is such a, seems like there's such a craving and a need for those kind of skills, to, and to get back in touch with a sense of self-sufficiency. Do you think that that sense of, of being able to sustain and provide for yourself and your family, do you think that drives a lot of what you do and why you teach this stuff? Yeah, um, not, not so much that, that I need to provide um, for my family. If anything, that um, sometimes takes me away from that. Like, uh, it, it's really fun to to sit here and um, you know make 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 a bunch of primitive traps and sit here and go out with my sofa. Uh, but some sometimes you you just gotta go up and, and take those uh, modern tools to to go and provide um, whether it be modern traps or uh, modern lines. So it's kind of a luxury because we don't have the numbers to sit back and do things the old way. Um, but what really motivates me to provide my family in that way is, is the experience that it provides them and the, the rich, nourishing experiences that comes from that and allowing my young boys to contribute as well. Um, then that's the real reward and the real nourishment there. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, like how, how do you see that affecting them and their lives, the way that they get to contribute and, and kind of be um, be in a culture that you're creating in many ways of being able to provide their own food and, and learn these skills? Do you, do, how do you see that affecting them? Well, in, in numerous positive ways. Um, I think I've mentioned to, to you before, but like in, in, in modern culture, um, children and adults, we, we don't get to contribute in a meaningful, direct way. Um, 
if I'm working often at something, you know, on a computer or something like that, if I'm in, in the modern world, and I just got to tell my kids to get out of my hair. They, they can't contribute, you know, go, go entertain yourself. And it sends a message that their purpose is to be entertained. Um, whereas here, everything I do, my boys are useful, even if it's just um, g gathering material for a fire or um, processing an animal or, or uh, tanning a hide. Everything they do, they're able to contribute. And I see it being so rewarding for them. They're so lit up with joy. Um, and it's just a cultural difference uh, from an early age of understanding uh, how life works. Yeah, yeah, totally. That that direct contribution and that that immediate, um, you know, you're bringing them in immediately to a cultural understanding of of life, of gathering food, of of really living a life where they can directly contribute and they can see. Um, how they can do that because uh, yeah as you mentioned we don't have we don't have a culture that um, kind of brings in children and, and allows them to immediately start directly at least having the ability to contribute or have the ability to see how they can contribute and and as you mentioned there is a sense of like their purpose is to be entertained and I think that's uh that kills so many not literally, but um, you know, spiritually, it kills so many, so many children because they they want to be able to contribute. They want to be able to directly, you know, affect and and in some ways prove themselves uh, in in a setting that is meaningful not only to them but also to their parents or the people around them. Exactly, we we're missing all these many steps of of rites of passage along the way, and. Um, it's also quite empowering, you know, for everyone to be able to provide for your own needs. You know, uh, we we become like the the gods of our valley here. If I want, if I want a bow, I, I can make it. If I want clothing, I can make it. If, if anything that I desire, I can just provide. I'm not relying on some external factor and and feeling powerless uh, that I need that provided for me. Yeah, yeah, that must be an extremely empowering feeling to have a sense that you can rely on the, or to a large extent, you can rely on the land and what it can give you and your knowledge of how to how to use it um, in a sustainable way. And I wanted to kind of talk about that um, because we, we talked to before, and I wanted to get your take on. Um, you know what? How do you define sustainability, and um, how how can we, in the modern world, start to move towards a more sustainable life way, as as you define it, maybe? Okay. Yeah. So I, I always say we got to be careful of, of what it is that we're trying to sustain. Um, first of all, that that's the biggest question. Um, and make sure that we we're sustaining something that's worth, worth sustaining, and, and it's not just a um, an effort to sustain the unsustainable. Um, th that's my first question. What what are we trying to sustain? And, and for me, I'm trying to sustain a um, uh, a sane living environment for a human being. Um, 
through lifestyle, um, social structure, and diet, what, what does that look like? Um, we, we tend to ask ourselves these questions, um, you know, for animals more than we do with humans. Like, um, I, I see people that are selling goats, and, and they're like, well, you need a certain number to fulfill that goat's social needs and its mineral needs and its environmental needs. Um, and, and we're really concerned about making these ideal environments for our uh, our livestock a lot of the time, but not so much for our uh, for ourselves. Um, so, so how can we do that? Uh, I, I believe that's a never-ending story. It's going to take a few generations uh, to get to get back to a picture of that. Um, right now, I'm plugging many of the holes with things like the goats, for example. Like we can't be truly sustainable um, being landlocked on um, one property with boundaries. We, we can't have a true large seasonal migrational hoop. Um, so we, we got to take some, some steps to, to make that work. For me, it, it is to pack goats, um, being able to provide meat and milk and, and filling in any of those voids that, that um, brought about by being being locked on this land or um, the voids of not having the, the numbers of a full tribe because we're a society of individuals, uh, they, they, they fill a lot of those gaps. Yeah, I can imagine. And and it is, um, that's a good point you touch on, a, a society of individuals and, and how we don't, especially the social side, I find we don't really consider um, that we do have social needs. Um, you know, we yeah, as you say, we look at livestock or we look at, you know, goats or these different animals that we like to care for. And we understand at a basic level that they will suffer if they don't have their basic social needs met. But we don't seem to equate that to um, humans in the modern world. And we, I think there's a lot of people in the modern world that are suffering as a result of lack of social structure, but no, nobody seems to put two and two together. And I want to get, I guess, what what would be your take on on um, kind of rewilding our social structure? Like, what what are, what are some steps that we could do to really a be aware and b start to actually bring in those people around us that do fulfil those needs? Well, I I guess the shift um, starts in ourselves. Um, if we think of ourselves as a part of a whole or as an individual, where we really push for like individual success in, in my business, in, in my sport. Um, I, I saw a lot of this when I was coaching um, wrestling and, and mixed martial arts. Uh, a lot of young young guys would come in and, and they're marketed to that, um, you know, become a champion, you're going to get respect, you're going to get recognition, you're going to get girls, people are going to look up to you, um, which is kind of a, an unhealthy attitude. Um, I would always try and shift that to be, uh, you want to develop personal power so that you can be of service to your community. Uh, that, that, that is the purpose of strength and, and having a steady hand in combat. Um, it's so that you can be of, of service. Um, so continually making those social checks on ourselves and around us um, is, is a healthy first step to, to getting towards there, um, a sustainable, sane culture for us. 
Yeah. Yeah, I really like that um, idea of being being strong or being um, well, yeah, being strong for being useful to be of service to a a community or a or a culture because. As, as you say, that there, there is a lot of marketing, or there is a lot of, um, especially in the modern world, this this high value placed on the individual, this high value placed on individual success, and it's very it's taken out of context a lot because we as humans are social animals, and we literally cannot we cannot survive, or we definitely can't thrive without uh, a community, and a community relies on the service of everyone doing their part to kind of contribute to that community. So it is a, it's a very toxic culture to be constantly honoring um, or constantly valuing individual success when we live in a, you know, we are social animals and it's, it's quite a, it's quite a weird predicament to be in. And I think a lot of people have lost that context that they do live within a social community because we don't really know people around us like we don't know our neighbors we don't know uh, we're not so connected with our neighbor we're more connected with someone through social media on the other side of the planet and even then that's a kind of fake a fake connection exactly being able to being able to and, and having to outsource most of the needs um for life we, we we can definitely forget about that uh social structure and those social needs like we, we outsource our food you know uh we outsource our shelter um absolutely everything is outsourced and, and that can lead to us thinking that we don't need other people you know um the the oh i was self-taught this i i, I made all the success by myself um and we have a culture that really pushes for that kind of thinking. Um, so so that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like it it doesn't it doesn't even exist. It, that's the that's the funny thing is that you can't you can't be completely successful without um, you know knowing how to communicate and work with other people. It's it's an impossibility. But people almost delude themselves into thinking that it that they can do that yeah well that's probably of all these um human skills that i i'm so fond of um social skills is the the most missing and, <laughs> and most lost skill um people think it's uh you know being able to stalk deer if your cell phone and um you know bone points uh or, or be able to tan hide to make your own clothing. And, and it, it, these, these are the basic beginner steps. It's uh, the social skills that are the most lost. Yeah, definitely. I want to um, move into, uh, on, on that note, do you, where you're based, um, are you like in a kind of social environment or are you just with um, your partner and your kids or, or how, how is that working on the property that you're on? Um, people, people come and go, uh, but again, it, it's very difficult for people to, um, like we have the land here with the charity, um, to specifically combat, um, some of the feelings of, well, I got to get my, my own property and, 
I'm, if I'm going to come here, I, I have to have my own personal goat um, <laughs> try, try and combat those, um, those feelings. But um, full time, yes, it's just uh, me and the boys and people are, are, are coming and going to learn. And, and that, that is one of the biggest challenges as well um, to fulfill um, all the social needs, particularly of my boys as they get older. And, and we have to combat that by uh, occasionally uh, traveling to teach, and that, that, that's a hard thing to do when you when you got goats that you milk every day and, and so forth. <laughs> um, we, we try to, to combat that by bringing in a lot of interesting people, even other interesting people to teach skills with this, or, or um, people teaching workshops. Sometimes people come for um, internships and whatnot. Um, but no, it, it is not a complete thriving tribe at this moment. No. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I, I mean, it sounds like it's it's growing in that direction, um, or at least you've, you've got the intention of growing it in that direction. And I think, you know, what you're doing with a lot of the teachings and the offerings and the events and workshops that you you run is is moving it in that direction and i wanted to give people um like what what are some of the things that you have taught and you teach at that property or when traveling oh if you can imagine it we we probably doing it everything from um modern skill like blacksmithing to um stone tool workshops um woodworking with, with stone tools um, to woodworking with, with modern axes. Um, I'm, I'm particularly passionate about the, the local plants here and timbers, um, tanning and tool making. Um, but, you know, I, I, this, this year I've taught um, how to make felt boots and vests and hats and, and, and bags to animal processing how to process an animal and, and take it down to extracting sinew and uh, bone and tanning hides and cooking organs and tanning stomachs and things that people don't normally do, um, literally using every part of the animal and preserving it without refrigeration. Um, if, if it's a skill that relates to life, um, it, it's something that I'm interested in and, and pursuing. Yeah. I love that. I love that what what you're doing very much relates to the um, the the practicality um, of of as you mentioned a skill that relates to life. I think I see a lot of people focusing on these different skills and and different um uh, I don't know paths of mastery that don't actually have a practical application or don't actually relate to something of value. And I really appreciate that you what you're doing and, and what you're teaching genuinely does relate to those you know very practical skills of you know knowing how to get food understanding how to make fire understanding how to process an animal and actually use the whole animal and it's it's a very empowering process we when we can pick up on those skills that will actually serve us and i think you know martial arts even is is very much like that it's like um, you know, you're, you're training with jiu-jitsu and I, I've done a bit of jiu-jitsu myself, actually understanding how to wrestle and how to defend yourself is a, is a very practical skill. And I think that's, a, that's really important to distinguish between 
am I actually going to need this? And um, it, 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 maybe it's just, uh, you know, maybe it's just an ego thing or maybe it's just a, a something that's not actually practically applicable. So I, I really, I really like that you're doing that with all the skills that you're, you're teaching is it does apply to life, as, as you say. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just think of everything as living skills rather than rather than survival skills. Um, so when it, when it boils down to you, the, the, the hardcore survival skills are probably going to be making built booties and and weaving a basket. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, once you're actually on the land, you find that those are sometimes the most practical skills. Uh, but yeah. I completely agree with you. It's nice to have um, something that is directly um, practical without any middleman. Yeah, for sure. I want to. I'm interested and curious as to how you go about, um, you know, sustainably getting food. Do you source all of it from the land that you're on, or do you source only, you know, a, a percentage of it? And how how do you? Obviously, you've got the goats, but outside of the the goats, what do you guys do in terms of food and, and diet? Sure. Um, so it, it, it's seasonal, it comes and goes. Right now we're in a, in a very extreme drought and, and surrounded by, by fire. And uh, the last six months have been very little foraging going on. Um, all, all through winter, you know, normally, for example, there's abundance of nettles and chickweed. Um, normally at this time of year, we see the lamanders and blossom, and um, it's simply not happening happening this year because of the drought. So it's it's been a little bit strange um, because of that. But every day we are gathering what we can, uh, we, hunting on the land what we can, um, as well as we do keep chickens and goats, um, and we process them and have eggs and and dairy. Um, there are some things that I'll, I'll bring in occasionally, it's just like, um, stores of like buckwheat, for example, to, to, to sprout and to make breads out of, um, it's not the kind of terrain here. Um, we don't have an abundance of, of carbohydrates on the land. So we do have to do some, uh, gardening and it, it's an unfortunate thing. A lot of the, um, the most fertile and uh, amazing uh, places that, that you know the indigenous people would have made use of are now probably under concrete or turned into dust fields for um, for livestock. Um, <laughs> the, the areas of bush that we have today were, were not always the most abundant areas. It's a, it's a very changed environment from the efficiency that the uh, original people would have had. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point because you know a lot of people will walk out in, into the bush and think, well, there's nothing here. But as you say, a lot of the more fertile places have just been built over or or used by um, you know European settlers, and and it's it's a it's a it's a biased or you know it's a different perspective to what the indigenous people would have had you know hundreds or thousands of years ago, and being able to utilize and live in those more fertile places that you know, now maybe a town or a city is um, over. <laughs> exactly. We're, we're seeing a very different environment today. Yeah. And and on that note, I wanted to get your thoughts and, and a, to touch on 
the the drought and the fires a bit because um, this is something that's really interesting to me. And I know we talked a little bit about it before, but you know, I, I just saw a post on on Facebook of someone that I know that lives um, near where the fires are going on, and it's just you know, I I have so little connection to the drought and the fires here on the coast, and I think a lot of people listening listening to this probably uh, are also pretty unaware of it so like what's the, what's the situation with all that and how and also how does it affect you know as you said it, it's pretty had a drastic effect on your ability to forage and and how you know I think you mentioned last time the fireflies haven't come back this year and and stuff like that yeah so I've only been on this particular piece of land for a few years and um the dog that I collected, I do um, a lunar calendar with my boys of, of what we're doing, our activities each month, and um, what we're harvesting, and we kind of use that as our calendar. And this year, all the events that were supposed to happen based on our first few years of daughter have, haven't occurred. The fireflies did not come back. The, the chickweed was not abundant <laughs> at that time. Um, it hasn't rained here properly for around 10 months or so now. And um, I have, I have one, one neighbor, um, a 40 minute drive away or so, that has um, been living there since uh, 1980. And, and he has never had empty water tanks. And his, his tanks went empty uh, this year in, in winter. Uh, which is normally our, our kind of our wet season here. Um, so we have we have hundred multiple hundred year old trees um, splitting open from dehydration. Um, all the animals are getting quite desperate um, from from the the fallow deer to the to the wallabies to the bandicoots to possums. Uh, they, they've all lost their fear in, in desperation, trying to come closer and, and get any food they can from around my camps. And um, it, it's a it's a really serious situation here. Um, when I when I make a drive to town, we, we drive through like dust storms. We have to stop the car because it's you know thousands and thousands of hectares of, of cleared land. And now with the drought and the, and, and the animals on the land, all the topsoil is blowing away. Um, most of the local towns are about to run out of water completely. So um, it, it, it's a really serious situation. And, and um, for me here, like it's really affected um, uh, a lot of what I'm forging on the land. I normally have raspberry leaves year-round as a vegetable, for example, and, and there's, there's simply none left. And, and uh, it's, it's changed hunting. We're, we're, we're having to thin the numbers of, of the animals here as everyone starts to starve. Um, it, it's really, really interesting times. Yeah, it, it sounds like it. And it's, yeah, I think it's so important to get that perspective because, I, I, as I said, I don't, you know, I don't really hear, uh, until I talk to you, I didn't really know any of that, and I think a lot of people don't necessarily have that context in in such a cut off world, especially living on the coast where you know we don't necessarily hear about what's actually going on. So, and it, it sounds you know it sounds pretty, as you said, pretty serious. Um, 
But yeah, in, it's very interesting. And so one one more thing I wanted to touch on was you mentioned um, at some point rites of passage, and I, I wanted to just get a quick uh, like this is an area that I'm really interested in, and get a quick um, you know what are your thoughts on rites of passage? How is it? played into your life if it has and then how do you see it maybe playing into the life of your boys as you raise them sure well i i think we have many many rites of passage throughout life but um i'll, I'll talk a little bit about some of mine like that that was something that was lacking for me um growing up with a, a single mother in in the bush you know and as a young man um we we have that desire to you know to face the lion so to speak and, and to prove ourselves i think i think as as men that we have to go out there um and and make sure that we have a steady hand um and that's something that's not really available to most people in in the modern age you know um graduating high school or university um, or, you know, these, these aren't real rites of passages. We, we need to have those those mentors and um, no matter who we are, we need to be, um, we need to be valuable and we need to be able to contribute to our local community to, to, to feel valued, to feel complete. So martial arts was a big thing for me going out and um, competing and, and testing myself in that way it was me in my own way seeking out my own male mentors on well, what does it mean to to be a man and how do i contribute and how do we have strength and um all these questions that, that young people have um but that, that's a never-ending story as well you know um you know we go from from Right, so the passage from boyhood into manhood, and and then um, in turn becoming mentors ourselves, and um, it, it's a continuous thing, which unfortunately is robbed from many people. Yeah, it it seems as though it is, and it seems as though that is is growing, especially in men, or I, from my experience personally, and also from what I've seen is that you know a lot of people a lot of boys are growing up in in homes with single mothers where they don't necessarily have access to um male role models and they don't necessarily have access to being able to prove themselves as a man or be able to have a good example of what it means to be a man yeah unfortunately that that's how most of the men are, are raised by 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 women and most of the teachers are female, and um, we're, we're in an age that um, looks down upon a lot of male traits. Um, we, we, we don't see that, that uh, uh, violence can often be a positive um, thing, and there's a compassionate violence. Conflict isn't always aggression, um, and a lot of these male traits are, are frowned upon. Um, at the same time, I, I, I must say it's the same for a lot of the young women. Like um, I, I hear all the time, people looking down upon a lot of these valuable female skills, um, such as nurturing and, and mothering. A lot of people like, oh, oh God, you're going to be stuck as a single mother, um, as though it's such a, or as, as a mother, rather, not a single mother, 
and, and, and it's looked down upon like, oh, he could be having a career. What are you what are you doing? You're stuck raising children like a nobody when actually it's one of the most vital and important roles that we should be really admiring uh, <laughs> as humans. Um, so a, a lot a lot of these t traditional uh, gender roles are, are getting frowned upon um, when actually they're incredibly uh amazing beneficial things yeah yeah exactly uh, i totally well, agree and and they're well, very man. sorry you go you go yeah no i was just saying that like like often we, we forget to uh you know we see it in combat sports a lot you know it, it, it's all about me and i found success and actually probably you know you all have that success to your to your to your mother and your family and and uh, then the other half to your coaches and um, there's some small smidge in between that that is us um, and, and our transitions into into those roles are, are taken away as we move further and further away from them um, further and further away from from where men have to be protectors and have to be. Um, providers in that direct way and further and further away from from um, women being the nurturers and providers uh, of the home environment of the children of the family um, as we get move, move further away from those things uh, those rites of passage to have disappeared and, and I think it's pretty vital that we bring them back and not only bring them back but bring value back to those roles and, and um, give thanks to to all of those roles that, that bring forth a, a healthy human yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I totally agree with the, um, the, the, I mean, it seems that, that rites of passage and, and just gender roles in general are being dismissed and, and that, um, you know, women are, are being taught to be more like men and men are, men are being taught to be more like women and it's just creating this kind of homogenous um, <laughs> society. And, we, you know, we, we don't, you know, we don't view violence or, or aggression or these these masculine traits as healthy anymore until they're necessary which is the 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 dichotomy of that that whole uh, I think modern notion of of uh, dismissing violence because as, as you say I think it has you know it has an unhealthy place for sure but then it also has a very healthy place and and the nurturing roles of women that's also very healthy and you know women have been doing that for hundreds of thousands of years and men have been the protectors and the providers in many ways for hundreds of thousands of years and and really getting getting back to first honoring that and then creating or recreating rites of passage around that I think is is definitely a step in the right direction yeah it, it's very important we have a problem we have young men that, that aren't exposed um, to violence and being pressure tested like that, they, they don't have that steady hand and that self-control and, and they're the ones more likely to get involved in violence in, in a domestic or, or uh, social situation because they don't have that self-control, they haven't been exposed to it, uh, they haven't learned to master and control that. And I, I understand as well why, why we're being pushed away from these gender roles, it was probably um, you know, quite an awful time in you know early days of industrial revolution and, and, and women not voting and uh, feeling confined to just being this baby machine that isn't appreciated. Um, and, and certainly that's not a healthy role either. Um, I, I think we've got to look further back 
um, to these healthy gender roles um, in, in a natural environment and try and replicate these. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I think that's a that's definitely a good um a good rule is to is to look look at um you know healthy healthy environments and and humans living uh healthy within that environment and, and definitely you know the industrial revolution is is a terrible example of that but as you say it's we can't throw out you know the baby with the bathwater we we have to look back and and see and understand and have more context as to how you know how human social structures are how how they best work exactly yeah cool man well um i just wanted to finish with a few things so um i wanted to finish with giving people like how well first first i wanted to say what where do you see rewilding and and this general movement and and you know quote unquote sustainable living how do you see this playing into the greater culture in the mainstream society uh today and and why do you think it's so important that people get back in touch with this stuff sure um well why it's important it, it ultimately all boils down to to health and happiness we we want to we want to eat foods that we're evolved to eat that leave us energized and filled and nourished and we want to be nourished in the same way in, by our social environment and uh, nourished in what we do uh, for a day-to-day -day life. We want to be empowered. And I, I think this is a, a really direct route to that, um, to providing all of those things that we've, we, we've talked about. Um, as, to, as to where it plays out for the mainstream culture, um, I, I can't say for certain, but it's, it's very... It's a very important time right now for the people that are the pioneers of this, so to speak, um, to really direct the culture of where it goes. Uh, we, we don't want it to go the same way as, as um, you know, for example, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. There's a, there's a gym on on every corner of every city now, and it's a commercial business, and it's, it's being a lot diluted into the original intentions of, of that martial art. And the same as permaculture. Um, you know, funding people to buy off, pay off their own personal property mortgages. It, it kind of gets away from that, like those original ideals. So as, as the pioneers of this movement, we go, we got to be really careful about where we direct it and to make sure that it's not as it gains popularity, just turn into another commercial venture for each person to, you know, run their own business, teaching their own courses as, as, as a, home business yeah yeah totally and 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 put you know if as long as they put rewilding in the title then they're hip <laughs> yeah yeah we're certainly seeing a lot of that yeah yeah no it's true we are and i think it's it's uh unfortunately well unfortunately or fortunately i'm not sure which but it, it does seem to move in that direction um more and more but yeah thank thanks for sharing that and then how can get people get in touch with you, connect with you, learn more about what you're doing um, and, and, you know, maybe support what you're doing, but, or maybe just understand a little bit more about um, you and your, you, you know, your efforts down where you are. Sure. Well, we have a pretty poor uh, 
online presence at the moment. It, it's kind of hard uh, juggling uh, social media with uh, providing your needs with the land, but um, it's something I'm endeavoring to get better at. Um, I am, we have a website, we have rewildaustralia.org, which we occasionally update. And I'm also on social media, Facebook and Instagram, where people can reach out. Um, most of the events that we run are through people reaching out and contacting me directly and never actually get advertised. So I, I really suggest anyone that's interested in anything that we talk about to uh, contact me directly. Okay, awesome. And I'll, I'll put a link to all that stuff, the website, social media, so people can reach out if they need to. And um, I just wanted to say a big thank you for coming on, Dan, and, and sharing all this. And, I'd, uh, you know, hopefully I'd love to have you back on again because I feel like there's so much more to talk about. But um, I just really appreciate you coming on and sharing. Oh, thanks very much for the opportunity. Yeah, man. Hey, guys, thanks for tuning in today. I know that you probably would have gotten a lot of value from that conversation that we had with Dan or I had with Dan. I know I did. I got heaps of value and perspective. He's quite a fascinating man with a lot of knowledge and experience with what he does. So as I mentioned in the show, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to all the things that we mentioned throughout the show so you guys can get access to that, connect with Dan. And I'm also going to put a link in the show notes so that you guys can connect with me and sign up for free membership if you're interested to move wild academy where you can start to integrate and learn all the basic natural movement skills that you need to develop physical capability and rewild your body and get it back into moving naturally and the way that it was designed to move so again thanks for tuning in uh, if you like the show then please share leave a rating and a review that really helps with getting more of these kind of conversations out and also supporting me to be able to find people that are interesting such as Dan to be able to bring onto the show and really share their message. So thanks again guys and I'll catch you on the next episode.